0: Welcome to the Focus & Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity, who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed And I'm Jeremy, a NeuroSpicy software developer turned startup founder, building the Focus Bear app to help people with ADHD and autism thrive at work. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I can get to sleep in time for my 2 hour long morning routine. The Focus & Chill Podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though, you'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io.
1: Welcome to episode number 42 of the Focus and Chill podcast. Our guest today is Shane Thrapp. Shane is the founder of Creating Order from Chaos and an ADHD coach and business consultant. He works to empower people with ADHD to find their authentic selves and collaborates with companies on neurodivergent inclusivity and accommodations. He also works as the operations director at the nonprofit Men's ADHD Support Group as a driving force furthering their mission of supporting men with ADHD. Welcome to the show, Shang. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. To start off with, can you tell us about your experience with ADHD? When did you realize you weren't neurotypical?
2: I've always known I was different, right? I grew up in a rural, very rural area of Texas. And it was really different for us because, you know, I grew up on a farm, but I did not have any of those inclinations to do anything around a farm. And You know, I wanted to read. I loved reading. And I was very single-minded about reading. And I didn't get social cues very well. And I didn't develop at the same rate as everybody around me. I actually seemed to be smarter than a lot of my cousins and others. And it was just very different for me growing up, though. And as I got older and older, though, you know, we never really assumed anything about ADHD or autism or anything along those lines. My family just did essentially that Southern United States thing where men's mental health isn't really that important. And it wasn't until my son, my oldest son, was diagnosed with ADHD through his school system when I was close to 30 that I really even started understanding anything about ADHD. I wanted to be a good supporter of him, so I wanted to understand what he was going through, and I wanted to be there for him, especially after a really messy divorce and um, from my abusive ex-wife, and that caused me to research it, and the more that I researched it, the more I started having puzzle pieces falling into place for me, but it took me four years before I was even able to get diagnosed because I was going you know, to the psychiatrist, and I was saying, I, you know, I think I have ADHD. And the first psychiatrist, she told me ADHD doesn't exist in adults. And the second psychiatrist, because she had tried me on uh, the first the first psychiatrist had tried me on SSRIs. I had started having a lot of uh, manic episodes and suicidal ideation. The second psychiatrist heard what I said, as far as that's concerned, and just assumed I was bipolar and diagnosed me as such. And it wasn't until I walked into the third psychiatrist and I sat down and I said, I am 90% sure I have ADHD. I want to get tested. Please test me. And she looked at me and she was like, okay, cool. Let's go for it. And took out the test and started asking me a metric ton of questions. And about halfway through it, she's like, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to test you on something else and she pulled out another test and she started asking me other questions kind of interspersed with the uh adhd questions and as she was asking me the questions there's a lot of social stuff and a lot of stuff about my childhood which is fairly normal but whenever we got finished she kind of looked at me and she was like yeah i'm fairly certain you have adhd but i also think you have some autism and i'm like okay what <laughs> cuz i'm i'm a fairly extroverted person when i need to be and i guess that's the key right we learned very early on to mask mm. and for me it was a very logical process i didn't learn natural body language i literally learned body language from watching like oprah and her having those you know lie de- human lie detector group groups come on and Then, of course, I got access to the Internet at 12, so then that was all she wrote. And so then I actually started being able to understand body language. Now, of course, kids don't have the same body language as adults, so I was able to understand adults a lot better, not children, not teens, not girls. God damn it. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I got a little bit more grasp. And, you know, eventually, whenever we started going through the whole treatment for ADHD medications, we discovered that the, the autism was a lot more significant than we thought. Um, and because it's such a common comorbidity with ADHD, we had to put in place instead of just medication and you know different types of ADHD specific therapy, we had to put in place a bunch of autistic specific therapy as well. I didn't actually get a diagnosis for autism though because I it's not debilitating for me. Because I developed naturally occurring coping mechanisms
1: throughout my life. Yeah, really interesting. I'm, I'm also ADHD. And yeah, the, the way of treating it seems a little bit different. So it, c- could you talk on that in terms of what, how it might be different from someone who is pure ADHD? What things have you had to do differently? Or is it that the autism was mostly under control due to what you had already developed on your own?
2: There was, what we really had to focus on is what was more my autistic related things, right? My need for order, my like absolute, like, please don't touch my desk, like having the boundaries put in place to like, don't clean anything of mine, don't touch anything of mine. And, you know, like really making sure that I understood how to communicate those boundaries to people. And how to kind of understand that some of my ticks and different hand movements and uh, stimming, I had to understand stimming wasn't like a, I, my brain had always like classified as obsessive compulsive, but sometimes it's just my body needing to stem in some way that just seems a little bit weird for our people around us and how to be okay with it, like how to. You know, eventually, because I started taking public speaking courses, how to use it and, you know, they're like hand wringing. I'm actually, if you all are listening, I'm actually hand wringing right now, but I want people to see that and I want people to understand that that's okay. So it's not conscious. Like I do it whenever I'm speaking because that's just how I kind of make sure that I'm focusing on what the person is talking about. And so then I had to learn the balance between the two, how to utilize my autistic tendencies for structure and order and and boundaries and things like that to counter some of the deficits that I had from ADHD. And that was, that was a difficult one. That was a, actually working with two separate therapists who worked together to kind of develop a p- plan that would help me move forward. And utilize my strengths, and that was what they really focused on: utilizing my strengths. And if there was things that were really, I was really struggling with, was the ADHD side of things. Is there something I can do with my autistic autistic side to counter? And identifying those different things, and I eventually did wind up on a med, on a medication for my ADHD because some of the things were just getting out of control. Right, stress, frustration. Because of emotional dysregulation and having a double stack of that mess on my brain, Mm. I had to learn how to control my emotions a lot better so that I could prevent things like overwhelm and burnout, and and manage my emotions very much more effectively. Because I had instances where I would uh, freak out, I would just explode, right, and it was hard to control that, and. So it was just a lot of different things of finding the different areas of my life where I'd had healthy coping mechanisms, but didn't have them in place for ADHD and then marrying the two together.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I I wonder about that. I was even thinking as you were talking about how you loved to read as a child, that that was me as well. And I, I wonder when you were a child, what parts of ADHD were prominent? Was it? Were you hyperactive or was it more the, the inattentive side?
2: Definitely on the inattentive side.
1: Yeah. I asked
2: thousands of questions. Mm. I literally wanted to know everything about everything.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, To the point that my father bought me the Encyclopedia Britannica and just said, Uh have at it, boy, you know, Uh and, um. It was probably one of the nicest things I actually think he did for me because then I started reading them and it was like, oh, this is neat. Oh, this is neat. And then I started talking about all the different hyper focuses that that developed. Like, did you know that in 1943? (laughs) Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then my dad was like, I don't know what I did here. I don't, I don't, I don't (laughs) get it. He's actually reading them. And my brain was just a sponge. Hmm. And, but the caveat to that was, my dad did not get me and he was an alcoholic and you know he didn't understand how smart i was and why i still also couldn't wake up to an alarm to save my life Mm -hmm. i couldn't manage to remember to do pretty basic things on a given basis like go feed the chickens at this time go you know go feed the pigs at this time, go like these basic ass things that I should have known because like he took me out and had me do them all the time, but I never could stick to that schedule because there were books that I wanted to read. Right. Mm. There were books I needed to read. And so like his favorite thing to say to me was like, you're the smartest dumb kid I've ever seen. And Mm. I grew up in that kind of environment. I also Mm. grew up in a cult. All right. Southern Pentecostal church cult. Uh, I had my first exorcism when I was 11. You know, I said the wrong thing in church. Hmm. And, uh, oh, wow, you got exercised (laughs) twice. Um, so my childhood has, I have been told is horrifyingly tragic and should be in a book. And uh, I keep thinking about it, but I'm just like, I don't really want to relive all that stuff. I've already done that in therapy. Hmm. (laughs) But, yeah, it's kind of along the lines of that. It was just, like, I had my things that I really enjoyed and hyper-focused on, computers eventually. And at the same time, I would get super excited about something that my, you know, that, like, was something that my dad needed me to do, right? I was a salesperson for when he decided to do a car uh, salesmanship. Um, he would just, like, refurbish old cars. Um, Ironically enough, I'm fairly certain my dad had ADHD, had ADHD. um, But... You know he had developed all of those different toxic masculinity traits that we see a lot of
1: times hmm. to be able to remember at five a m feed the pigs and before that feed the chickens, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. yeah, I can really relate to that. and I guess one of the reasons maybe that it didn't get picked up was that that when you were at school, for example, because you were such a prolific reader. Were you quite ahead of the rest of the class so you could be inattentive, but still it didn't really matter?
2: Yeah, that was the positive and bane of my existence. Hmm. So because I was so far ahead of all of the other people when it came to anything that I needed to read, Hmm. I would read the textbooks before the first six weeks were up. And then, and especially if they gave us the list of textbooks before the class would even start, by the time summer was over, I'd already read them. Mm-hmm. And that meant that if my teachers were going to teach directly from the textbook, I didn't have to pay attention, which mm-hmm. meant I could doodle and draw in my journal, or I could go to sleep, or I could, you know stare out in the window or i could secretly read the books i actually wanted to read or any list of things that would you know let me do the things that i wanted because then they would just give us a test based on the um the books and my memory was so good when it came to trigger based t- uh, test questions that i would be able to answer most of the questions and i would sit here and i'd take the test in you know 2 minutes and 30 seconds and i would give mm-hmm. it back to them and they'd be like are you done? I'm like, yeah, I'm done. And they're like, and then they look at it and they go, oh, you made a 97. Well, darn, which one? Oh, you got these numbers backwards. Oh, well, whoopsie. You Uh know, I knew it was something like that. My bad. I think the thing that tripped me up the most and what confused everybody was math. I was really good at basic math. Like when it came up to everything until we started getting into like decimals and fractions and started really screwing around with the mathematics and like pre-algebra algebra algebra, calculus adding letters to the uh, to the mess i hated that Mm. and so my my teachers and my you know would you know talk about how smart i was and then it would turn into but he can't do you know anything advanced math to save his life and unfortunately my geometry teacher was my sister-in-law's sister and so she would tell my parents, yeah. hey, "He's not going to make it through high school if he can't get his math grades up." So the beatings would commence again because uh, my dad was kind of the mindset of "We'll beat the smart into you." Yeah, so, yeah. like a. Good Sorry, apology. this got darker all of a sudden. I apologize, everyone. This is supposed to be a fun podcast.
1: <laughs> well, it's important to, to talk about the real stuff because I think it's probably not uncommon that yeah we the rest of the world doesn't understand us and it's a pretty severe way that you were treated sorry to hear that but it it sounds like i mean later in life you you were talking about getting into computers and it sounded like was that how you started really being able to play the instruments
2: yeah because i could be who i wanted on the computer Mm. right it's so much easier whenever you're able to type out your your answers to somebody if you're doing like a o l instant chat or way back in the day um i r c um or you know Yahoo chat rooms. It's so much easier to convey your thoughts when you're typing things out because you have to slow them down to put them into the thing until I started learning how to type faster than I can speak um but whenever it came to that though. I really started understanding that I had so much access to so much information. And again, just like with the, you know, encyclopedias, I started absorbing it. And the more I learned about like body language, the more comfortable I got to being around social situations and being able to mask more effectively and be able to Take these little pieces from the people who were popular around me and kind of integrate them into who I wanted people to perceive me as. And the learning the body language allowed me to take those mannerisms that I had learned from so many people and actually use them in effective ways. And it took me a long time to realize that somewhere along that way, I lost myself, I lost who I was. And that was where that was one of the things that really I struggled with for a long time, especially once I got into this you know situation where I didn't have school anymore and I wasn't going to college and I was just kind of floundering out there in the wild blue yonder with no structure at all, and I didn't know who I was. Hmm. so masking had gone
1: too far at that stage,
2: yeah. And and that's pretty, that's pretty common for a lot of people in our men's group. We see this every day where people who are just like, I'm lost and
1: I don't know who I am. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I can relate to that in my early 20s as well. I think I was really trying to be like the other kids and mm-hmm. acting in a way that actually I didn't enjoy. What allowed you to let go of that?
2: Ironically enough, it was just because I was a project manager. So, like, um, for some reason, I just fell into, um, I tended to wind up in management roles from 22 on to 25. And after I turned 25, I was really trying to figure out, like, I couldn't keep a job to save my life. I would do something to irritate somebody. I would tell a boss what they were doing was stupid. I would point out different flaws with the, the company. I would sit here and I'd do all these different things where I was just annoying. And I get it, right? Nobody wants the guy to come in who's been here for five days who, ought to, uh, ought to, who starts sitting here saying, hey, there's 15 more efficient ways that you can do this thing. And then when something breaks, go, I told you so. <laughs> and, you know... There was also just the boredom of the fact, right? Because I wouldn't just stay in my role and I would go out and hunt down all these problems. I would just get bored when my boss would be like, stop looking for stuff to fix and just do your job. And I couldn't stop that. And so I learned about a thing called project management. And project management was my savior uh, in multiple different ways. And I started learning everything there was about project management. And I loved it. I loved the idea of taking all of this broken stuff and fixing it and then making it in order. Ironically enough, guess where my business name comes from? (laughs) (laughs) But I still started going, well, I can't stay at these jobs for two, three years at a time or four years or five years. I'm definitely not going to ever retire. And I had an epiphany one day because I was talking to a headhunter and she was like, you know, there's tons of project management jobs that are just like three months long, right? And I was like, there are? She goes, yeah, I've got a half dozen of them ready to go right now, I said. And so I kind of fell into that and I started working short term project management positions. And that's what my career turned into was short term, three to eight month long programs where I would go in, initiate the uh, the project, and then start building it out, all that creativity thing. And I would sit here and I would like take all that chaotic uh, nature of the business that they were trying to do and then find all the efficiencies moving forward. And since I wasn't working on me, I was working on somebody else's mess, I could do it. And I was good at it. And I was really good at it. And that just kind of turned into my role. That kind of turned into what I would do. I would be able to sit here and work eight months out of a year, and then I would take three months off, and I'd work another eight months out of a year, and I'd take three months off and then kind of stagger it in there so that I was able to sit here and have another month off in between here and there. And that's kind of where my life started really going a lot better. And when I turned 28, uh, after a pretty, like I said, a pretty messy divorce, I had a therapist who was like, you know, I was really struggling because I was trying to find my identity. I was kind of just this like broken mess. And she's like, why don't you turn yourself into a project and just treat yourself like you would a client? And I said, well, because that would make entirely too much goddamn sense. And I don't know why I wouldn't do that. (laughs) And that was it. That was the the turnaround point. When I was 28, I started kind of just turning myself into this project where I needed to know who I was. And that started with trying to learn my values and understanding my strengths and understanding my weaknesses and figuring out my mindset and how to start moving around that. Right. And so both with her help and uh, as a therapist and kind of just my own ability to do research, I started doing it. And then I found out about ADHD and I was like, well, shit, now we know. <laughs> so that's
1: how the journey of, with ADHD comes into play. And did it become a bit of a special interest? Something that you did a it, lot of research? It did. Ah, uh,
2: yeah. So that's the hyper-focus net that never stopped, by the way. Um, I started learning about it when I was 30 and I've never stopped. I've watched Russell Barkley, I've watched Dr. Ned Hallowell, I've read all their books, I've kind of tracked, like, um, the different uh, influencers as they came up, I started tracking the different research as it came out, I started, like, I had RSS feeds for ADHD specifically, you know, back when that was the thing to do, and I just... Could not stop learning about it. I started learning about neurobiology. I started learning about neurochemistry. I started learning about, you know, psychological mental health uh, things. I started. Beca- I be. I let myself become a scientist of ADHD, and all of it because I just needed to know. And uh, eventually, along the ways, I started also adding autism into that mix and and trying to figure out, make sure I understood that, and i just i've never stopped i've
1: never stopped hyper focusing on adhd i imagine that's because you're continuing to discover new things all the time and it's continuing to help you and help other people now as well with what you're doing
2: yeah like so in 2016 i had a mental breakdown you know because you know i was always taught that the man is supposed to be the provider right and so when i even with all this knowledge that I had about the, the importance of rest and psychology and the importance of making sure that I was taking care of my mental health, I still failed to pay attention to the signs. And I had a mental breakdown, but I just ignored it. And I kept trying to push through it. And in 2018, my body was just like, you know what? We, we told you that you needed to rest and now we're going to make you. And so I developed fibromyalgia and a couple of other uh, pretty debilitating uh, nerve issues with my body. And uh, that was the end of being a project manager for corporate America. Then in 2019, my wife told me we were going to have twins and that was a whole nother animal. But my wife, after I met her when I was 30, she was a special needs teacher. And so she got it. And so she's actually been like the biggest reason why I am where I am today because she's always supported me Hmm. even when we were really confused and at first I didn't know I had ADHD like I remember like going in there and I and after like after like a year or so I remember going in there and I was like hey I think I have ADHD and she was like you didn't know you had ADHD and I was like Uh no I didn't know I had ADHD she's like yeah you yeah 100% and I was Uh like how did you know she goes, I read it on your dating profile and i'm like why don't you say something she's like, i just figured you're being a dude about it and i just let you be and so yeah <laughs> i was <laughs> like i wish you had said something and she's like mm, i don't care <laughs> like so but she's always like once we actually had the diagnosis and everything it just kind of changed things around on how she you know talked to me about something she understood like why I struggled with like morning routine and stuff like that. And she just kind of like went along with and helped me kind of develop those coping mechanisms that are absolutely necessary for managing ADHD. Hmm.
1: I'd love to talk about them. I wanted to ask as well about with the the fibromyalgia, what allowed you to get out of that? Was it just lots of rest and it gradually got better?
2: I'm still recovering, Hmm. you know, um, Burnout and overwhelm for people with ADHD is like a broken bone, right? Especially like a long-term, like over time kind of thing. Like overwhelm is like that sprained ankle, right? And you just like kind of ignore it and keep walking on it, hoping it'll just kind of go away. You know, we were taught real early on, like walk it off. You know, that's the thing. Uh, burnout is that broken bone. I mean, you know, that's what happened to me in 2018. My body, my the brain just said, we're done actually, just to let you know, <laughs> And uh, you know, I had a therapist, and she was like, "Yeah, now you are fucked." (laughs) And how? By the way, having a therapist tell you that just like it's kind of disconcerting. Mm. Um, But at the same time, it was kind of the wake-up call I needed. Like I said, I'm still, I'm still recovering. It's why, like, I couldn't be in corporate America anymore. I couldn't make that nine to five thing work anymore. I had to be able to have so much more control over my time. So that I could both make sure I'm prioritizing my family and being very efficient with the amount of time I have left to be effectively, effectively able to work and make money. And that's actually where the whole business came from. That's where the whole creating order from chaos consulting came from, because as a ADHD coach told me whenever I started going to see her you have to lean into your strengths and understand how to utilize them. And my strengths are taking a chaotic mess and making something really cool and ordered out of it. And that's what I do with people. And that's that's what I do with businesses still. And that's what I do in anything I really touch is I take this whole, whole ordered mess and I just love processing it through. And, um, yeah, and, but and I get to keep my. I get to make my own hours. I get to work the schedule I need to work. I need, I get to take weeks off if I need to. I, I get to utilize the rest that I absolutely have to have, even five years after the
1: breakdown. That's great. Do, do you want to talk more about the type of businesses that you help and the type of individuals?
2: Yeah, I, you know, primarily I work with people with ADHD between ages of twenty-five and fifty-five, and. You know, a lot of it is just helping them, helping them kind of going through and, you know, there's no cookie cutter solution for managing ADHD, especially when you throw in autism and PTSD and other issues like that, you know, but there are commonalities in there where you can find those places where we put in place the routines and the rituals and the systems that they need with the, like the external tools. And we start to develop the system, overall system that works for them as they kind of move forward. And it's very much like a project management plan. And we kind of develop an understanding of their values. We kind of develop an understanding of their strengths and we kind of develop an an accommodations list that they can put in place, both whether they're um, at home or if they're in business and things of that nature. And then we just kind of keep moving that forward with accountability and, you know, getting like giving them permission to fail and telling them that it's okay, because that's our big issue, right? That fear of failure, because every time we failed, it was some sort of catastrophic issue. And so what we have to do is we have to put in place that, that ability to give permission to fail and work through that fear of failure so that they're able to reach out and grasp life and actually live life instead of living in fear. Now, as far as businesses is concerned, a lot of what I do is go in and
1: tell them how they're doing. Everything is wrong. <laughs> like, got permission. i like the the, <laughs> the past times where they found it annoying. Now they find it valuable and they pay you for it.
2: Right. You know,
1: um, a lot of it is just like you know,
2: understanding like why working from home for some people is so valuable and why it's ca- absolutely catastrophic for others. And having the flexibility as a business to ask those questions and give the people permission to answer them honestly, right? It's giving them, you know, them the understanding that some people are going to need blue lights. This sounds really super weird. Why do you need blue lights in your office? Or why do you need blue light filters in your office? Because some people deal with need blue lights and some people actually hurt are hurt by blue light in the uh, in the lights. And <laughs> how to communicate that both as an employee and as an employer like how do we make sure that we're giving these people but uh, you know the accommodations they need but not breaking the bank right we can't give somebody a high end mainframe because they need that kind of level of uh, you know uh, computing power to be able to process what they have but at the same time like we can't make sure that the person has a solitary office so that they're able to not be distracted right And then there's just also just the education about ADHD in general. It's one of the reasons why I do public speaking is to educate people on what ADHD, what autistic ADHD can look like. And hopefully waking up those people who have it to go, oh, maybe I have ADHD and that's why my life has been what it is. Because they don't show that person at work. They show the mask. And while they may be successful at work, they could be having catastrophic failures at home. Maybe they're stuck in abusive relationships like many of us are. Maybe they're dealing with depression or burnout or overwhelm. And they don't, they think that this is just the normal way it's supposed to be.
1: And that's not it. Yeah, that's probably across the board in society. A lot of people putting on masks. Mm Mm-hmm feel like we should do a part two and talk about relationships. I'd, I'd love to, to hear. I'm that.
2: actually doing relationships tonight in the men's group in our in our weekly call. Oh, wow. We're, we're actually talking about relationships with families, spouses, and and friendships. Awesome. Do you
1: want to tell the audience about the support group?
2: Yeah. So three years ago, our, the founder of the support group, his name is Mark Almodovar, decided that one of the things that he didn't see out there was a group that was dedicated to men's mental health support like specifically ADHD and so he desi- he decided to launch a facebook group on that and it was fairly popular but it wasn't until covid hit whenever just kind of everything exploded and people started recognizing that they had adhd because they lost all those coping mechanisms that they had at work and they were stuck in their house and they couldn't find themselves doing anything and they were overwhelmed and burnt out and and like they were actually going to the doctor to talk to the doctor and the doctor was like hey you're showing a lot of signs of adhd we should get you evaluated and these men are finding out that they have adhd and they kind of do a google search and then you know, they find this and they start asking questions and they start getting answers. And we built a really, really strong, supportive, loving community with men who really understood the issues that other men faced. Right. Because men don't feel safe anymore. And I don't even want to you know denigrate anything to do with the Me Too movement, or anything along those lines, women need to be seen and understood and cared about and respected as well. But somewhere along the way, a lot of men have been lost into the shuffle. And they can't go into a co-ed group and talk about how their has made them have erectile dysfunction. They, get, they literally get abused in the comment section so, and made fun of for it, even by other men. And so we needed a place where men could go talk about those things, where they could feel safe enough to do so. And that's where the men's group like really took off. And Mark brought me in uh, two years now, and we've been building it. And then last year, we decided to launch it as a nonprofit. And this year, we're going to be featured at the International ADHD Conference talking about men's uh,
1: um, mental health and ADHD. Wonderful. And there's other um, live events as well. Is that what you're doing tonight? Mm -hmm. We do a weekly call either at 2
2: p.m. or 6 p.m. Eastern on uh, Zoom where we talk about a specific subject and we alternate days or alternate weeks because, you know, Europe we want to make sure that y'all have the uh people in Ireland and 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 the UK have access to it and we we've been kind of kicking around doing a third one where we can actually get like Australia and everything but I'm like guys that's like 1 a.m in the morning for me y'all got to get somebody from Australia to do those I can't stay up that late I can Uh do afternoon I cannot do early morning that that's not gonna work um but you know they're they're Largely peer-to-peer support. Even us as coaches, uh, we're there to kind of facilitate, facilitate the conversation and keep it on track more than anything. Mine are obviously much more informative just because I'm a gigantic fucking nerd. And Mark's, when he does them, they're much more peer-to-peer support talking through the different issues that people are facing and dealing with.
0: Hi there Focus and Chillers, are you ready to supercharge your knowledge in the realms of creativity, tech and psychology? Come check out my fortnightly newsletter. In each edition, you'll get quick wins and actual takeaways that you can put into practice right away. If this sounds like you, I'd love to have you as a reader. Subscribe for your fortnightly dose of insights. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the show.
1: Before you were talking about you'd work for 8 months and then take 3 months off. What do you do in your off time? What type of hobbies do you enjoy? good lord video games dungeons and dragons anything
2: creative right i love i'm no good at art i i'm horrible at art but my creativity is always in creating worlds and so there's writing and you know building these worlds that i may or may not have decided to create a book series out of that i'm working on off and on um developing these dungeons and dragons games becoming a paid dm at one point uh that's a paid dungeon master not the kinky con by the way y'all um and i would you know i love doing that kind of stuff and then along the way it's also you know board games and just a large chunk of reading i read so much and then of course video games you know, Cyberpunk 2077 just dropped the new D- DLC. And so I'm like, yeah, buddy, let's work that one out. Because I've got one of the three uh, types of players that I literally saved for this uh, uh, for whenever they dropped new DLC was now I'm going to be playing the uh, the the Corpo uh, person. And so like then Starfield and came out and I was, of course, I was wrapped up in that. I'm a gigantic video game nerd. I love RPGs. I love anything that lets me develop in the world and, and kind of thing, uh, things along those lines. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of my downtime. Playing with my kids is a big one too. They're four years old now, so they're pretty amazing. Um, and so playing with them is pretty awesome as well.
1: Hmm. Great. Ellie, you talked about morning routines and rituals. What what do you try and do?
2: I have an, a very annoying alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have an alarm clock and, it, and it's called Alarm Clock Extreme uh, with an X, not an EX. Uh, and I had to put it in place a long time ago and I've been using it for years now. But essentially, it's an alarm clock that's on my phone that does not let me turn it off with a swipe. I literally have to do a math equation. And as we talked about earlier, I am bad at math. So, I went through two phones at first because throwing it across the room will break a phone. Um, but eventually it started working. And having to do that, you know, really utilized the some of the things that we have to do. We have to make an external tool that works for us work for us and then respect it. From there, I have to get up and I also have to scan a barcode that's on my window or that's on my mirror where my medication's at. And so now I'm over my medication and I take my medication. And so my morning routine is pretty structured in that manner where I have to do certain things to get my phone to leave me the fuck alone. And, you know, of course, Alexa comes along at about 930 a.m. And she's like, just to remind you, check your task calendar and your uh today's appointments. And. Having her tell me that versus my wife having to tell me that has saved my marriage because I can yell at Alexa. I can't yell at my wife because she watches way too many murder movies. And I'm fairly certain they'll never find my body because I'm a little bit introverted, (laughs) as she has lovingly told me a couple of times. But, yeah, that's my morning routine is like I wake up, I do my morning stuff, I stare at the wall, my alarm goes off, I do the stuff it tells me to do. Um, but that's the kind of external tools that we have to have in order for us to be able to stay within the moment and not get lost in staring at a wall for three hours, mm. because that can happen because we have time blindness. And yep,
1: so I can relate. It has to do very similar things. Uh, are there other things after you scan the barcode on the mirror? You know, I just
2: kind of making sure that I spend time being mindful. Right. Just actually being in that moment, some some meditation, some journaling, you know, the kind of stuff that if something's really bothering me, I kind of put it down in my journal and then I email it to my therapist so that they're able to sit here and take a look at it and and have a direction to go when we go to therapy. I think that's one of the coolest things about my journaling. I don't journal every day. I don't I don't do that mess. But I do like I do have these like brain dumps where I just kind of essentially brain, you know, like dump it out, especially at night, whenever my brain's doing that thing where it's going a thousand miles a second, you know, I just brain dump all that into the thing. And if there's anything valuable in there the next morning, I'll send it to my therapist. And I was like, Hey, I can't get my brain off my dad passing away, or I can't get my brain off this one time when my uncle whipped this, you know, whipped me with a bullwhip. I, or I can't get my brain off this girl that I was dating, you know, 15 years ago. And Like happen to pop up on my Facebook and like, I'm happily married, but at the same time, I'm like, won't go away. Right. And, and so like having these, having this ability to kind of have that kind of tool to be able to then give that to my therapist really helps me, helps me save the time because my therapist always goes, so how have you been lately? And I, instead of me going, I've been fine because like right now at that moment, I am fine. Mm. But, you know, (laughs) you know, but, you know, I completely forget about the 15 times in the past two weeks where I've like had these weird anxiety attacks or panic attacks. And so having that kind of journal and me being very intentional with it to send it to her, it's very easy for her to go, hey, you've talked about a couple of things here that sounds like there's some unprocessed trauma that we need to readdress. You know, what's, what is it doing to you? Or like you seem to be stressing a lot about work, you know, what's going on with work and where do we need to go with that? And I think with that, and then having it, you know, that turn into then me looking at my tasks or my calendar and making sure I'm paying attention to those appointments that I have has been one of the biggest keys to managing my ADHD. And then of course, in the evening, my, my Alexa goes off again and tells me to remind me to look at it again so that I can check off and add to all the different tasks that I did, even if they weren't on my task list. And so that's kind of like my overall schedule for the day. Outside of that, it's just a free-for-all for whoever scheduled my time.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's so important to me as well, just actually looking at my calendar, because otherwise i I forget about everything. That's probably a, a major productivity tactic. What other things do you do to optimize your productivity when you're working? remember to rest that's the biggest one right there is
2: like I don't just like hey I'm tired I'm gonna rest it's like it's literally in my calendar and like because I told my wife one time I was like look if it's not my calendar it doesn't exist I'm never going to remember it so if you don't put like whatever those things are that you want me to go to on my calendar I'm not going to go to it because I'm just like you know it doesn't exist And I'm not one of those people who who you spring a last second, let's go to the fair thing on because my brain immediately does all the wrong things. And so, but she's very organized and she's neurotypical with it. And so she's just like, again, she's one of the reasons why I'm still alive probably today. And, but it's along the lines of making sure that I'm actually sitting down and on my calendar, it says, hey, you need to go rest. You know, one hour a day, one day a week. I get to do whatever the fuck I want. And I make sure my wife gets the same capabilities. One hour a day, one week, one day a week, she gets to do whatever the fuck she wants because rest is productivity. And if I'm paying attention to that and putting it into my schedule, then I'm much more capable of being able to then utilize it because Alexa's telling me to chill the fuck out and go play a video game or something, Mm -hmm. you know, or read a book or
1: something. Hmm. Love it again rapid fire last couple of questions one habit you'd like to remove from your life man Remove from my life you have removed from
2: your life in the past have removed marijuana i removed marijuana um very quickly yes i hear a lot of y'all out there marijuana makes me feel better yes it does but the strains that are out there now with the the quantity of THD percentages in them are just aggravating the living shit out of your your ADHD symptoms and making them significantly worse because they affect executive function, memory, uh you know, and you know, motivation and all those different things. The only thing that's really helping you in marijuana is the CBD content and if You know, you're seeing a lot of effects of marijuana helping you. It's probably because you have high CBD content in your marijuana. It's the THC that's fucking you over. And, uh, you know, for a very, very, very small percentage, you know, it may may help overall. But for the most part, all you're doing is like shooting yourself in the foot with a broken ankle.
1: Mm. Helpful words. In terms of resources that you find most helpful, it's probably books or is it more blogs that you recommend
2: people uh, community working like I, I think that's one of the things i love about the men's adhd support group is the community there and getting it real time feedback from people who give a shit and actually can help you process through what you're dealing with therapy and then it's not just books though. it's understanding what your learning style is and like the combination of the different types and everything and then If you're if you're an auditory or visual or, you know, and and you need to listen to something, listening to it like, you know, it's called there's a thing called habit stacking. Listen to a podcast or an audio book or anything about ADHD while you're cleaning. Right. You're going to absorb the information. Right. You know, or or, you know, make sure that you're kind of just do finding the way that you love to communicate and understand ADHD and then using it. I'm a back and forth talker. I love, you know, having a conversation with somebody who gets it and then we can go nerd out on it and then us learn and me learn. Yeah, I I
1: love that tactic of combining cleaning, which I don't like doing with listening to a podcast, which I do like doing. Great suggestion there. Is the best way for people to connect with you via your website?
2: Yeah, checking out my website, www.creatingorderfromchaos.com is the best way ever but you can also find me literally on every social media creating order from chaos uh, except for twitter just order from chaos because twitter's stupid um and you can also find me at the men's adhd sport group i'm very active in there i am the operations director so i'm one of the the driving cogs in the machine of a entirely adhd ran non-profit organization and you can just
1: imagine how much fun that is <laughs> uh-huh. but i imagine it probably works okay because people are passionate about it i think the, the challenge is when we're asked to do things we don't care about then we don't do it well but...
2: they are absolutely passionate about the things that they're passionate about which may not be in line with the project management plan i have in place <laughs> <laughs> love it
1: do you have any final words or for the audience
2: you know, I'm actually working out a new program where I'm going to start taking on some group coaching. Um, I'm going to build a small community of uh, smaller co- cohorts, three to four people per, uh, for four months, uh, stints where we go through and we kind of develop an understanding of our strengths and then you know an understanding of our values and then start to push those out into the working the goals that we want to achieve within that four months. Where we are also then holding each other accountable weekly for what we're trying to put in place. And so I'm fixing to start launching that um, here very soon. And if you go to my website, you'll see a whole page on it.
1: Awesome. Well, if you do it in an Australian friendly hours, might get some of the Australian listeners on
2: yeah if you give me some australian people i will stay up until one fucking a.m in the morning to have a
1: conversation with (laughs) y'all now now is not terrible (laughs) well it's been great having you on the show shane thanks a lot for sharing everything and i could really relate with a lot of what you were sharing especially in those early years glad you're you're helping everyone I'm
0: i'm having a lot of fun
2: doing what i do so i appreciate coming on this thank
0: you so much Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus & Chill Podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at Otherwise stay focused, stay chilled and peace out.